KPCRLP 101.9 FM, Santa Cruz. So what are you going to do with that? We are joined today by Dr. Justin Cummings. He is running for 3rd District County Supervisor in Santa Cruz, California. This is not an endorsement of any candidate. This is an opportunity to hear some of Dr. Cummings' ideas and to allow him to introduce himself to those who are interested in his agenda and the uh, future of the County of Santa Cruz, of the United States of America. Thank you for joining us. So what are you going to do with that?
Uh, good morning, sir. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. You're running for county supervisor. What would you like people to know about you? Try to introduce yourself to people who may not be familiar with you and uh, what your agenda may be with the the position that you're seeking. Well, um, so I moved to Santa Cruz in 2007, pursued a PhD in ecology and evolutionary biology, and graduated with a PhD in 2013. I moved away briefly to, to pursue a postdoc at Florida International University and returned to Santa Cruz in 2015. And since then, I've been working to stand up numerous nonprofits to focus on increasing diversity in the fields of environmental conservation and the fields of tech. Uh, around the use and application of drones for good. And the reason why that's become my passion and what I've been interested in is because we know that there are many fields that, are, that have well-paying jobs or that do work to help protect our environment where people of color have been historically absent and kept out of those fields and conversations. And as we're seeing the call for Black Lives Matter and really hearing about the importance of increasing diversity to help uplift people from poverty, you know, it's really important that we are setting uh, college students and young people up for success. And so that's what I've been doing since moving back to Santa Cruz. And in 20, you know, and then when I moved back in 2015, I saw that it was really challenging for people to live in Santa Cruz who are, whether you're a student, uh, whether you're an entry-level employee, whether you're someone with a PhD, but it's really challenging for working people to live in this community. And that's really what kind of mo motivated me to, to you know, step into the political sphere and start getting involved. And in 2018, even though I hadn't been involved in politics much, I was the highest vote recipient and was mayor of Santa Cruz in 2020 when um, we had the CZU fires, the arrest uh, after, the, after the murder of George Floyd, and then the CZU fires. And this is my last year on the council. Um, when Ryan Coonerty, the current county supervisor, said he wasn't going to run, I decided that I would put my hat in um, and... I feel that I'm the most qualified if you look, if you compare me to to my opponent uh, for this position. Yes, sir. May I ask you exactly for those who may not know, um, what exactly does the county supervisor do? What what would be your responsibilities? Right. So the within the cities, the city council is the elected body that kind of governs um, everything within the city's jurisdiction. And within Santa Cruz County, there's four cities. There's city of Santa Cruz, Watsonville. Capitola and Scotts Valley. Everything outside of that is the jurisdiction and the purview of the county. So if you live in any rural part outside of the city limits, the county supervisor is your direct representative. In addition to those responsibilities that we normally would see in the cities, roads, water, public safety, the county supervisors also control the budget over the criminal justice system, public health and social programs, uh, they have a lot of say over ag, and they play a much bigger role in terms of how our tax dollars are spent to create those social safety nets and to, um, when it comes to the criminal justice system, are we having programs that are focused on stopping recidivism? What kinds of programs are we doing to deter young people from going into jail? That's where the funding for those activities comes from as well. Very interesting. Dion, you're adamant about mental health. That's a concern of yours as well. Considering everything that we've gone through since 2020, not to mention just the cost of living, all these things that would contribute to someone's mental health being at mm -hmm. risk, what exactly do you think is something that the county supervisor would be able to do to make it better for people in mental health treatment who are suffering from maybe episodes in crisis? Uh, how, how would you see yourself as county supervisor, as a citizen, contributing to making that something that's better for those people. So this year, for example, we saw a major cut in funding through this core process, uh, which was designed to determine who we should allocate funds to for social 
programs. And one of the things that was really upsetting with that process is there were a lot of long-standing community programs that did really good work, and, and they had significant funding cuts, uh, some of which prevented them from getting matches for, from, for government aid or government funding. And that was really disappointing. And as supervisor, I want to really make sure that when we're identifying and determining how we're going to allocate funds to organizations for programs related to mental health and social services, that we're really looking at who has been effective in the past and are they asking for new programs or just to sustain the ones that they currently have? And if new programs are asking for funding, what is it that they're trying to contribute that isn't already in existence? Because we don't need to reinvent the wheel here. If there's an organization that's been doing the work, let's continue to fund them. If another, if another organization wants to do something else, let's make sure that we're filling some of the gaps within the system and not just taking one source of fund to give it to another organization that's going to do the exact same thing. In addition to that, there's been a real call for, rather than having police and law enforcement respond to calls for mental and behavioral health, having a 24-7 non-law enforcement emergency crisis response team. That is something that I've been pushing since 2020. Many people in the community are on board. We're starting to see funding at the state level come through to help support that. It's something that we do have mental health liaisons with Santa Cruz PD, Watsonville PD, and with the Sheriff's Department, but it's time we do more. Finally, I would just say that as we're trying to stand up services related to homelessness, we need to create specific locations where people with mental health and behavioral health needs uh, where they can go because, you know, and addiction, because sometimes people who are looking for help but we don't have enough beds. We really need to create some beds here in the community for people who are in need, and, and that's something that I want to focus on as county supervisor. As a, I must commend you on that. I'm, a, I'm an African American, grew up in a Yoruba household. My dad's my, raised me was from Nigeria. In our community, that there's a huge stigma about it. We don't like to talk about it, mm-hmm. but we'll talk about diabetes. We'll talk about blood pressure, but it's, that's also a health concern. Mm-hmm. And I'm, that, that, that's, uh, I think that's really important. Very interested to see how that this is going to work out for you with, with your plans with that. Happened a lot lately. The um, um, idea of community policing. So sometimes you may have a situation where the police is not needed. You may need auntie to come over and talk. Let's get you some mm-hmm. help as, as opposed to somebody coming with a gun to right. uh, to make the problem worse. Right. Um, yeah, and that's and that's the idea of the twenty four seven non law enforcement crisis emergency crisis response. If people are experiencing um, mental health episodes or there's need for some crisis intervention, rather than having somebody show up with a gun who's going to be intimidating and might escalate the situation, you'll have somebody come there, and if they need backup, they can call it. But let's start with those people being able to go into a situation and see if they if they can defuse the situation. Having um, similar penalties as assaulting an officer would apply for those individuals as well because you're walking into that situation potentially unarmed somebody were to assault that individual who's trying to provide that service it's it's a pretty it should be a pretty serious crime right and so as we're trying to develop this program we should be thinking about what is it that we want to what is it that we want to do to make sure that we can protect these people so that they can go and provide the very needed service that we, we that we want in our community the living expenses. A lot of the creative class have had to leave. They can't afford to live there. I'm curious about, um, once again, as county supervisor and as a citizen, what do you think are some of the most important points that you could see make happen that would equal out or make the, not only just a diverse community, but a diverse community as far as economics are concerned? You, may, you got doctors, you got people who are chefs, you got people who are artists. You got people. I think that one thing that I've been pushing for is that we need to increase the amount of affordable housing in new developments. On the city council, one of the things that I was able to accomplish working with my colleague Sandy Brown is we were able to get the city to increase its percentage of affordable units to go into new buildings, which is called our inclusionary, 
ordinance, we changed it from 15% to 20%. At the county level, I wanted to make those same changes as well. That's one of the first things I would like to work on. In addition to that, if we're not going to do anything to address the skyrocketing and like out of control prices of housing, then we have to pay people more. We have to pay, because especially for city and county workers, we need to increase their wages if we're not going to do anything about housing escalation. But I also think that there's other types of progressive taxation measures that we can start implementing, real estate transfer tax, speculation tax, because that way, that's for houses over a certain amount. We can even set the cap. Anything over $2 million, there's a real estate transfer tax, or that's being sold for the purposes of investment, or for rental, well, there's a speculation tax attached to it. And by doing so, we can actually generate some revenue that could go towards producing more affordable housing and different types of affordable housing. We have a, a measure on the books, Measure J, where those are affordable houses for purchase. And when you sell them, you only make about 10% off of the sale of those houses. And we need more of that. Like, well, housing, should, housing should never have been, become this investment, this thing that you invest in. Housing is a human right. It's one of our basic needs. So I think we really need to start moving away from this for-profit housing industry, and we need to move towards the for-people housing industry. Once again, with the housing, one of the most important foundations, uh, in my opinion, is of being a productive, healthy person would be having a stable place to live, mm-hmm. stability. Stability is very important, and a lack of stability can, can uh, lead to mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Mental health issues can lead, lead to a uh, loss of income, loss of uh, your, your, your social connection. You, you, uh, you, you have people in the community who want skins to stu- the uh, facility. So you have people who serve their time, serve their time, and, and they're ready to become a productive part of society and this community. Yeah, well, I think, you know, we really need to put a lot of work into what happens to people when they, for example, are released from prison or released from jail. As it stands right now, I remember I met this gentleman, um, and he had gotten out of prison. He, he did his time. He served his time. And he was just dropped off downtown Santa Cruz early morning. Nothing's open. He has no money barely any clothes on his back, no cell phone. And how is someone supposed to be able to connect with services or with people or to be able to get back on their feet when they just get thrown back out on the street with nothing? And that's, and, and that's a failure of our, our correction system. We really need to make sure that when people are released, that there's job placement programs in place, that there's stable housing. And that can be a transitional housing model where people who are getting out of jail and transitioning back into society and stay in these environments where we set them up with a job, we get them connected, they start reintegrating in society, and then we can help them find that next step. That, once again, I think that also leads into what you were saying about the community with the switching from the traditional policing or incorporating that with citizens being concerned about other citizens. Are there any, any uh, businesses in, in Santa Cruz that, that are willing to contribute and help you with that particular program, that maybe hiring programs or training programs? I don't, I don't have any specific in mind, but I, I would imagine that working with the city and county to seeing how we can get people into those kinds of jobs, they're stable, they're stable jobs, and I think that we need to be the example of being able to give people a second chance. In addition to that, I think of some like larger box stores like Costco, being able to try to work with them or other folks in the community to be able to get people into those, you know, those types of also stable working environment and and using that as a way to help launch people into a career path. I should also say that it's also worth us looking at what types of programs, specifically for the jails, not so because we don't have a prison here in Santa Cruz County, but we do have jails. 
and if people are in our jails for long periods of time, what are they receiving in terms of the type of educational training or mental health care to get them to a point where when they get out, they can actually be successful? For example, cybersecurity is one of the fields where there's zero unemployment rate because we constantly need people in that. If that's the case, can we talk, work with people and say, hey, okay, well, here's a career path that you could actually go into work in and make a really good living and you don't need a four-year degree, you don't need a PhD, you pretty much need a high school diploma and to be able to think critically about these kinds of things. And, and that takes some evaluation of people's capacity to be able to work in those fields, but how can we get people into better paying jobs and how can we get them the skills that would allow them to um, be constructive members of society and whether that is introducing them to the, to the trades, finding something in tech, gardening. You know, I think it's, it's time for us to start really being mindful and, and intentional about corrections. People, you know. I agree, I agree. What exactly drove you and what drives you to care about the environment? I grew up in Chicago, Chicago and um, when I was about nine, through a program that was subsidized by the American Lung Association, was able to go to summer camp and that's where I like just that was my happy place like being outside running around running around chasing frogs like looking at the stars like that was what I was really passionate about and my I don't know if you remember back in the day there used to be uh zoo books and ranger rick and I do I do I do in boys life you know and so like I do all that really frog and all I do yeah 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 so like that really was like you know I felt that connection to nature and when I went to college my freshman year, I had a professor who pulled me aside about halfway through, and he was like, hey, uh, have you ever thought about pursuing a career in biology? And I was like, no. Like, no one had ever encouraged me to do that at that point. And I took some time to think about it, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to do that. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to dedicate my life to helping save the planet. And another thing that was really inspiring for me, too, was Captain Planet, watching that and seeing through these people who are trying to pollute the environment where there's parrots and monkeys and all sorts of wildlife. And, and that for me was, I felt really offended by, you know, learning that as a kid, why would we ever want to destroy our planet? And so I decided that I would go down that field. And I'm actually the first and only black person to ever graduate with a PhD from UCSC's ecology department. And speaking about how in the field that you're in, as far as uh, your, your work life, your, your professional life, has that been has that been an asset, or have you found that you had there there as an obstacle that you have to overcome? Like I tell people sometimes, you know, sometimes I don't have time to be a black man today. I got, I, you know, you know, I don't have, you know, I don't have. But it comes, I don't have time to uh, to to worry about those things. And I wonder if it, I'm, I'm assuming that there are not very many people, sir, of of, uh, of your ethnic background and 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 your field. Yeah, no, there's not, and that's uh, part of why. Um, the program that I started here, which is called the Doris Duke Conservation Scholars Program, uh, okay. it still exists. We really emphasized focusing on recruiting people who are underrepresented in the field of conservation, environmental conservation. And it's a two-year program where the first year we took the students out on an eight-week field course throughout the state of California and taught them about how to do research. The second summer, we placed them in internships with conservation organizations throughout the country. And then we ended it with a professional development workshop. And for the two summers, the students didn't have to pay anything, and we paid them $4,000 a summer. And so wow. the, the idea there is that they're getting, because oftentimes in order to get experience in this field, you have to have an internship of some right. sort. And 
many times historically those internships are volunteer. So right. who does that really cater to? It's to people who are rich, right? right. And we know that people of color in our country experience the highest rates of poverty. So the idea is let's alleviate that barrier by paying the students to be here because they might not be able to afford to otherwise so that then they get the experience that they need to be competitive when they graduate college. And also for me, I'd, I'd just say that I've, I've been pretty fearless in white spaces. I grew up in a neighborhood in Chicago that was fairly mixed, but adjacent to a neighborhood that was predominantly white and, right. and white and racist. And, um, and so I, like, I grew up having to navigate that space. And so I'm not afraid to be the only black person in the room and right. to be the one who's speaking their mind. And I know that there are a lot of people out there who they're not comfortable with that. And so I feel like for me, that's something that I bring because then I'm able to help create that space for others to come behind me. Fantastic. You, say you have a, a young, a, a young uh, person, a black person, who is thinking, what, what, would you, what would you say to a young person who says, why, why, would I, why should I care about the environment? Say, I mean, for instance, like you, growing up in Chicago, and growing up in an area where you know it's it's not there's not it's not there's not green fields you don't have uh you know lakes to swim in and and it's not mm. there's very very few few things that make you really think about the um, nature and the environment. Why would why would you why would you why would that be important to me as a black person? Why why, why should I care about that? Well, because I think we all care about our health, right? And the number one thing you need to be healthy is a healthy environment. Flint, Michigan is a great example. Yes, black community no safe drinking water. To this day, they still haven't fixed the problem. And now people are having to use bottled water for everything. And that's because they don't have access to healthy, safe drinking water. And historically, when we think about environmental pollution, the environmental, some of um, the work that's gone into environmental conservation and environmental justice was spearheaded by black communities where they have been dumping toxic waste. Yes people understand that when they're not healthy, when their children aren't healthy, and it's because of the fact that it's, they live in a polluted environment that has been cre intentionally created by systems of oppression, yes. people understand that, that we want to be in a healthy place, and, we, and part of that is taking care of our environment. But historically, I think part of the, the issue is that when you live in communities where you're not represented, Oftentimes, your voice continuously goes unheard, and then people give up. They stop complaining yes. because they, they think there's nothing they can do. And that's exactly why representation is important in local government, because those people who are being most negatively impacted need to have a voice at the table. And that's something that, that I hope to bring to the County Board of Supervisors. You're also a skateboarder? I grew up skating. Yep. I haven't done it in a long time, but I grew up skating. Um, I also uh, grew up playing soccer. I trained Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I haven't... It's been a while since I've been in there since before the pandemic, but um, and then I'll train kickboxing as well. Wow, how diverse is Santa Cruz? It's not very diverse. I think the university brings a lot. Black people make up one point six percent of the city's population. Six percent. Yep. Thank you for joining part one of my conversation with Dr. Justin Cummings, candidate for third district county supervisor of Santa Cruz. So what are you gonna do with that?